and welcome back to my Curiously Queer Life, which is extremely queer and curious and queer in both senses. Strange and super gay. Yeah. Uh, this week I maybe wanted to touch on support. What is support? Who do we support? How do we support them? This last couple months I have been struggling myself with uh, another human being on this planet who I feel has disrespected me on a deep level and I have requested support but I almost feel like I am seen as a stronger individual between the two of us and maybe I received less support than if the roles were reversed. I think it's funny that we live in a world that only people seen as weaker are supported in the sense that we should all be supported, whether we are weak, strong, anything in between or beyond either one of those things. So I'm hoping that the people I have asked to support me and show me kindness, uh, take a look and realize that we all deserve support, no matter how we are perceived or how we, you know, show ourselves to the world. So I think that's a, a good opening for today. I will try to do that more often. Uh, so welcome back. I appreciate you coming back. And as I said, I'll get better at this. It already feels better. I'm in this room by myself talking to no one, and I'm living for every second of it. So, here we go. Chapter 3 of My Curiously Queer Life, Emasculated. Somewhere in the midst of my mom's relationship with Peter, they crossed paths with Wendy making this the beginning of a new chapter of my life. It was during this time that my perception of the world around me started to shift, revealing a deeper layer of understanding about myself and the people around me. It's funny how as a child, everything appears so innocent and perfect. But as we grow older, the flaws and complexities of life come into focus. Clarity comes and steals our childhood. It's as if a veil gets lifted and we begin to see the apples as spoiled and the rainbows as mere illusions. This realization made it difficult for me to find happiness, as I became aware of the cruelty of people, or perhaps how people treated me changed. Regardless, navigating this new path felt challenging and isolating. I can't pinpoint exactly when it happened. But one day, our seemingly normal family transformed into something new. A family that many people didn't like or understand. Wendy, who happened to be the same age as my mom, had two children around the same age as my sister and I. First time I met Ashley, Wendy's daughter, she was zooming down the hill on her little red tricycle, joyfully screaming, Fuck-a-doodle-doo! Fuck-a-doodle-doo! It was a comical moment. Her brother, Tyler... He embodied the typical male. Tough and enthusiastic about sports, he effortlessly fit in with each and every other boy, which made me envious because I did not conform to the traditional expectations of a boy. Wendy formed a close bond with my mom, a friendship that went beyond what society deemed as acceptable. 
As a result, Peter was no longer part of the picture, and we found ourselves living with Wendy, Tyler, Ashley, and Uncle Adam. Personally, I didn't see anything wrong with navigating this new road with my mom and Wendy. In fact, I felt happier with them being together than when my mom was with Peter. But the world wasted no time in making it clear that their relationship was widely unacceptable. I remember a neighbor named Richard who harbored animosity towards my mom. One day, when Wendy greeted him with a cheerful, Good morning, Dick, he sternly replied, That's not my name. Wendy fiercely reported, Well, that's funny, because that's what everyone calls you. I couldn't help but burst into laughter. Wendy's boldness, strength, and indifference to the haters made me feel safe. However, when I entered into the new school, J.T. Brown, everything changed. My sexuality, my race, and my mom's sexuality were suddenly put on trial. I wasn't prepared to defend these aspects of my identity and never before crossed my mind. For a while, the moms seemed content together, but my mom seemed different. She still loved us and remained our mom, but something had shifted. In retrospect, I now understand that drugs and alcohol played a part in her struggle. Her own demons became harder for her to conceal as I grew older. Our family continued to grow, and soon our little set tuplet outgrew the townhouse we resided in. Seeking a fresh start, we left the safety of that complex and moved into the big blue house. The blue house affectionately referred to as such, despite its mostly white exterior, held a special place in our neighborhood. Its expansive backyard was full with beautiful fruit trees, and in the front yard a sturdy rope swing. It was a hub of activity, with numerous kids from the neighborhood gathering there. Across the street, Scott and Ryan. Scott, being older, didn't particularly engage in our childish games. But Ryan, who was the same age as us, often joined in on our adventures. Ryan was a quiet character, a tall and skinny boy, often described as lanky by the moms. Little did I know at the time, but Ryan would become the first secret boyfriend. It's strange for me to reflect on this part of the story, as it still brings about a sense of struggle and confusion. I almost feel ashamed right now as I write this. I can feel the shame of younger me. I feel that shame today. As I mentioned before, my sexuality started to become a question during this period, and Ryan became the catalyst for exploration. It's funny how I move through life, and I I grow, and I change, and I evolve. And these things, like my sexuality, there's still this tiny piece that lingers around me that makes me feel ashamed for being gay. I feel ashamed sometimes for looking at a man and wanting to be in love with him, to kiss him, to have him love me, to want to kiss me. It makes it hard to cultivate positive relationships because that tiny piece of me always screams, this is wrong. It's not wrong. Anyone listening, it is not wrong. It is okay. One day I hope it will be okay. Ryan would sneak us away to secluded spots, 
where we would lie close together sharing kisses. I was too young to fully comprehend what was happening, only knowing that it felt good without truly understanding why. This became a recurring pattern until one day we became way too comfortable and his brother caught us in the act. I don't recall seeing Ryan for that. In all likelihood, his parents blamed my moms for the so-called hedonistic actions, conveniently shifting the blame onto them instead of acknowledging their son's part in the situation. As I grew older, I discovered that Ryan had done similar things to Ashley, Wendy's daughter. Learning this truth hurt me, as it made me realize I wasn't special to him, but rather just another body. It became painfully apparent that the narrative of me being seen as nothing more than a face and a body continued throughout my life, with countless men desiring me physically, but not truly wanting who I was deep down. I didn't want to know the real me deep down. He was disgusting and gross. He desired men, and that's only what sickos do. How was I to begin to even think that this was okay? My mom was a pillar of strength. And Wendy was fearless, and I could clearly see them hiding their love. I had no choice but to hide mine, to leave my filthy appetite for the same sex. I had to leave it in the shadows, lock it away in my closet. There was much happiness in that house for a while. We used to have big family barbecues, and with my mom having seven brothers and sisters, there was always plenty of cousins to hang out with. My family was always a safe haven for me, where my sexuality was never questioned and I was loved for simply being myself. It wasn't until I got older that they all started wanting me to toughen up. It was in that house that I tried my first cigarette. I remember the moms being in bed asking me to light my smoke on the toaster. And it was the 90s, everyone, okay? Smoking wasn't as crazy as it was now, and it was only at the beginning of, like, a bad scenario. My parents were good, and this is something that was the norm in my house. Maybe not in yours. It definitely wasn't mine, and we never thought twice about it. After I lit the cigarette on the toaster, I took a drag of it. It was absolutely disgusting. I brought the cigarette back to the mom's, and Wendy started laughing so hard and asked if I had tasted it. I tried to lie, but the end of the cigarette was soaking wet, so they for sure knew. However, I never tried smoking again after that. Everything seemed so perfect in that big house. While a normal family might have been the norm and been accepted, our unique and queer family of seven felt just right. I have a very fond memory of Wendy trying to teach my mom how to drive. My mom never drove. I'm not even sure I saw my mom in a driver's seat of a car up until this point. She was always in the back seat of a taxi or in the passenger side. She would never even talk about driving a car. The thought of my mom doing this was both exciting and terrifying for me at the same time. Wendy demonstrated the basics, showed my mom the controls, and off my mom went, down the street and around the corner. We were all standing outside clapping and cheering for my mom's brave attempt. However, time passed, and we started to get worried. Five minutes turned into ten, and ten and almost thirty. Without the luxury of cell phones back then, we had to rely on finding her physically. After some time, we eventually found her sitting on the hood of the car, just before she had to get on the highway to turn home. 
It turned out that she had gotten so scared attempting to merge that she just sat there waiting for us on the hood of the car. Looking back, it's a memory that still brings a smile to my face. It was a funny and lighthearted moment amidst the chaos of everyday life in that big happy house. As I started my sixth year in elementary school at a new school called J.T. Brown, the blue house that had once been a symbol of stability slowly began to crumble. Its walls no longer held the harmony that it once did, and the moms who had bonded over shared experiences started to drift apart. Within the chaos of adolescence, the children in the neighborhood yearned for individuality, making questionable choices along the way. The disintegration of the once tight-knit community shrouded everything in anger and confusion. Eventually, the moms decided to end their love affair, and my mom, my sister, and I moved back to our old neighborhood. The news brought immense joy to my heart. Finally, I would be back, reunited with friends that understood me and loved me. I would return to a place that I felt a sense of belonging and popularity, escaping the toxic environment of my previous school. I couldn't have been happier. However, while still at J.T. Brown, finishing out my sixth grade, one of my teachers, Mrs. Brown, she embodied everything that made learning an uphill battle. With her short, permed brown hair, her drawn-on brown eyebrows, and an unwelcoming demeanor, she seemed to have no business being a teacher. It quickly became very evident that she carried prejudice from a time when being black was considered a crime. As a mixed-race child, I became her target, constantly reminded that I was less than, that the other kids deserved more of an education than I did. I was merely a color child who did not deserve the same opportunities. Miss Brown went out of her way to humiliate me in front of the entire class, holding up my work and using it as an example as what not to do, as a failure. It was a painful experience, but fortunately my mom caught wind of it and stormed into the school like a queen demanding justice. I can't recall the exact words exchanged, but I do remember the support of another teacher who witnessed the altercation. With a high five and a declaration that Miss Brown was a horrible teacher, my mom's intervention gave me a glimmer of hope in overcoming the challenges I would face. The year came to an end, and we moved into a small two-bedroom basement suite. It was conveniently close to my old school, and I couldn't have been happier about that. My mom gave my sister and me my own rooms, recognizing that we were becoming teenagers and separate spaces were becoming more of a necessity. In this decision, my mom once again sacrificed her privacy and slept on the couch in the living room, always putting her children's needs before her own, a testament to her commitment to being a good mother. As the new school year began, I saw all my old friends, but things were different. It felt like a new school altogether. Everyone seemed to have their own opinions and ideas about life and how it should be lived. My sexuality once again became subject to conversation and I wondered if I would ever find happiness again. Eventually, I found a group of friends who accepted me for what I was, and life began to become tolerable for the remainder of my elementary school years. I met a girl, and we started dating. But I also met a boy, and we started dating in secret, in the shadows. But that story's for next week.
That's all for this week. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate all of you for listening. I hope that this inspires some of you to start being honest and open with the people around you. And as always, fill your tanks with love and joy. Share it with the people around you and try to make a difference. My name is Thomas St. James, and this is my Curiously Queer Life.